Our sermon passage this morning is from the book of Titus, chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. You may be seated. As you find your seat, I want to ask you to join me in prayer. Our Father and our God, I pray, I plead, I ask, I beg, in Jesus' name, that you would stir those of us gathered around your word today to hear it, to trust you, to lean into your grace, to lean into your church, and to serve your name in your world. Lord, would you stir that in us today? Now, Father, teach us and shape us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, it's very good to see all of you this morning. I'm so glad to be with you. If you have not done so already, please take your Bible, turn to the book of Titus chapter 3. Now, before we dive in, I just want to put all my cards on the table. We've been studying Titus for a few months now. And the reason we've been studying Titus is because this letter was written so that the church of Jesus would be faithful and fruitful and glorify God. And so our desire in studying Titus here at Redeemer Church in the year 2021 is very simple to understand, but it takes all of our lives to pursue, that we would set our minds and our hearts on being faithful to the Lord, being fruitful in his ways, and seeking to honor him in everything. And what I would want for you, whether you're a part of Redeemer or you're visiting today or you're visiting from out of town, what I would want for you is for you to know Christ in such a way that you would want to be a part of a local church and contribute to a local church that would push you to be faithful to Jesus and to be fruitful for his kingdom. That's what I want. Why? Because this is what Paul wanted when he wrote Titus. So we're going to conclude our study today by looking at these verses, which Julie just read for us. And these personal sections of the scripture can, be, can make for hard preaching. Um, and what I mean by personal is, is these verses are very personal to Paul and to Titus. Paul the writer, Titus the recipient. But what I want to convey to you today is you can understand and and glean what God is saying from this without knowing who Artemis is, who Tychicus is, who Zenos is, or who Apollos is. And you can glean what God's saying from this without knowing where Nicopolis is. It doesn't matter. Now, if you've already turned back to the back of your Bible and you're looking it up on your map, that's fine, but, but get back over to Titus with us. Sometimes we get lost in all the details, and we really just miss what's, what's going on. 
And what's going on in these verses is, one, Paul's finishing the book, but two, Paul is conveying a commitment to the mission of God going forward that goes beyond any one local church. And he is conveying a desire that these Christians in Crete at this time learn to serve the mission of God and serve those carrying the gospel forward. That's what's going on here. So I want us to conclude our study of Titus by by leaning into these five verses or four verses of the scripture. So if you want to take notes this morning, the first point is for the mission. For the mission. If you look at verses 12 and 13, this is a very uh, functional, detailed couple of verses. Paul says he's going to send Artemis and Tychicus to Crete. Paul wants Titus to leave Crete and join him in Nicopolis to spend the winter. Paul is also sending Zenos and Apollos to Crete, but they're not to stay there. They're to move on, and the church is to help them Move on. What's going on here? I mean, we could look at this and go, oh, cool, Paul wanted to spend the winter with Titus. That's awesome. Next. That's true, but I think there's something more going on there. All these movements... I'm sending these people. I'm pulling you out. These people are passing through. Some scholars actually believe that um, Zenos and Apollos are the ones delivering the letter that we're studying here. But that doesn't even matter. The, The point of all the movements is Paul is commissioned by God to stay committed to building the church of Jesus in as many places as possible. That's the work of Paul. And if you join Paul in that ministry, Titus, Artemis, Tychicus, Zenos, Apollos, then that's going to be your main end as well. All these movements about that, that maybe if you've been in the military in your life feel like marching orders, that's what they are, All the marching orders have a purpose. What's the purpose? Paul is not just committed to building a local church on the island of Crete. The local church on the island of Crete is really a means to the end of the church of Jesus going to all places, to all peoples, and it's that end of building the church with the big C, building the kingdom of God, expanding the work of God's mission that is going on in these movements. Now, unless you think I'm reading too much into it, um, go back to chapter 1. Verse 4. 
To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Verse 5, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town. And the rest of this letter, Paul is saying to Titus, I need you to move this church toward faithfulness. Now, He's going to move Titus out. He's going to move some other people in. Does he still want the Christians in Crete to be faithful to the Lord? Absolutely. Absolutely. But there are other people hearing the gospel, believing in Jesus. Churches are being started. And Paul wants them to know the Lord and be faithful as well. So all this movement that we see here is about a commitment to God's mission to Make the name and the saving power of his son known amongst the totality of the Gentile world. The Apostle Paul was committed to a work of taking the gospel to the Gentile world and starting churches there. This letter is showing us Paul's desire to see them become faithful, to continue in the faith, and that this work of thinking beyond one church to thinking about the totality of the work of God recognizes that there will be movement between churches for the good of the church at large. Paul has an allegiance to the Lord himself. He has an allegiance to the work that the Lord has set before him. And what he's saying is, The building of the kingdom of God amongst the Gentiles at this moment calls for Titus to move to a new place, Artemis and Tychicus to move into Crete, and Zenos and Apollos to be on their way delivering messages. What are all the details and the whys of that? The Bible doesn't tell us. But we glean from that that The mission comes first. And God's mission carries forward as God sends his servants into new places with the goal of there being more faithful churches who faithfully represent Jesus in the world. So the movements of verses 12 and 13 are about the mission of God moving forward. So, some implications and application for us here. God's kingdom work is bigger than any one local church. God's kingdom work is bigger than any one local church. Now, I'm telling you, Titus was written so that the church on Crete would be faithful to the Lord. But that wasn't the end goal. The end goal was that they would be faithful and that the servants would then be moved and others could become faithful. If the end goal was for them to be faithful, he could have left Titus there forever. Or if the end goal was just for them to be faithful, he could have stayed there. But the moving says... The mission's going forward. 
So the goal is not for the church on Crete to be awesome. The goal is for the church on Crete to become faithful and fruitful and send servants to help others know the Lord and become faithful and become fruitful. Now, guys, I could think of church like a mother hen. Like y'all just come, gather around, get comfortable love each other, get too close, stay forever, don't ever think of leaving, bring your friends, bring your neighbors, bring your coworkers. That'd feel really comfortable to me. Because I'm not a big fan of change. By the way, y'all all need to stay. Unless the Lord moves you for the purpose of building his kingdom, and then you better go. Just two weeks ago, one of our elders of our church left here, and we celebrated it. He went to become the pastor of a church down in Smyrna, Tennessee. Funny fact, that church's address is 300 Easy Street. I think they're lying, but I digress. Is that sad or is that good? I think the answer is yes. On an interpersonal level, that's sad. A friend, a brother, a loving, loving and lovely family has moved on. But from this perspective of chapter 12 and 13, that's just the Lord reorienting people for the work that he's doing in Nashville. And so like I said, y'all best not go anywhere. Come close to Jamie, okay? I'm just I'm half kidding when I say that. We love you. We want you to stay. But I think a healthy vision of a local church committed to God's mission is some of y'all need to go at some point. Not because we're kicking you out and not because we don't love you and not because you've caused problems, but because the Lord's going to grow you and equip you and want to use you. And sometimes taking the gospel into new places is how the Lord does his mission, and he's always going to do it through his people. So when LJ, our pastor of missions, and I sit around and talk, one of the things we we dream of and we pray of is to be able to look back at all the people that God has raised up, healed, poured into, discipled, and then they went somewhere else to carry on that kind of ministry for others. Some of you may not know, this this thing about for the mission and being willing to expand out, that's how this church even exists. We were all piled up at a really awesome church down in Brentwood with a far better pastor than any of you have. In a far more beautiful building with far more space. But we left. Why? Because we wanted the blessings that we were receiving in Brentwood to bear out here in Sumner County. We're praying that someday in the not too distant future, we'll we'll take another piece of Sumner County and say, let's send a church there. And then there. And then there. Why? Because we're awesome and the world needs more redeemer. No, it's we're not Walgreens here, okay? Like, our goal is not to get every corner. But 
we want to see, in the words of Ray Ortland, more people experiencing faithful Christianity within faithful churches. And that doesn't happen when churches like Redeemer put a zero on the end and go from 300 to 3,000. But that happens when churches like Redeemer help there be three to five Redeemers spread out into more neighborhoods and into more pieces of Sumner County to get closer to where people are. Man, this, this movement of Artemis and Tychicus so that Titus can move out and go back to Paul and spend the winter thinking about where they'll move when the winter's over and Zenos and Apollos on their way. This is all about the mission going forward. And if Redeemer ever loses that, a commitment to the mission of God going forward, not the the prominence of Redeemer, but the mission of God going forward, then we've lost something huge. And if we've lost it already, we need to reclaim it. Healthy local churches are a tool that God uses to take the gospel deeper into certain places and wider into new places such that his kingdom will reach the ends of the earth. And what we're reminded when we read names like Artemis and Tychicus and Zenos and Apollos and Titus is that God uses real people to that end. Real people. Not special people. Not seminary people. Not nerdy people. Not well-read people, but people. People who love the Lord and are committed to His ways. So, as we wrap up the book of Titus, let's recognize that remaining committed to the mission, a mission that's not about this church being bigger, better, stronger, and more well-funded, but a mission that goes beyond us is an important part of what we're being called to. Second, learning to serve. Learning to serve. We see this in verses 13 and 14. Verse 13, do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. So what's the command? Move them along quickly with what? With everything they need for the mission. How are we going to do that? Is Titus just independently wealthy? Going to knock that out for them? Verse 14. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. So you see what's going on there in verse 14? Paul saying this, the need of Zenos and Apollos is an opportunity for the church to learn to meet their needs 
and propel them on the way and be committed to the work of serving others in the name of the one who has served us, Jesus our Lord. Learn to devote themselves to good works. What does that convey? That it's a learned behavior, right? Learned behaviors aren't light switches. They, They come in waves. They don't come easily and naturally. Parents, have you ever looked at your toddler son and just said, why can't you raise the seat? No? Wow, I thought I had found a common denominator for all humanity here. It's a learned behavior. Learned behaviors come in waves. And so what Paul is saying is, Titus, the needs of Zenos and Apollos are an opportunity for you to teach these Christians on Crete to be devoted to good works. For them to learn to be devoted to good works. And this emphasis on good works literally means actions that are rooted in faith and obey God and serve others. This emphasis on good works means actions toward, excuse me, actions rooted in faith that obey God and serve others. Now, in our reformational context, we are afraid of the word good works. I guess that's two words. The words good works. Um, We're not saved by good works. We're saved by grace through faith. Yes, the scripture makes that abundantly clear. There are no amount of good works that can make a sinful person better enough to be acceptable before God. Exclamation point. I was reminded in my community group last week that that those of us that grew up in more fundamentalist environments, we hear the word good works and we think, oh, if I don't do that, God's going to be mad at me. God took all his wrath on your sin and poured that on his son, Jesus. It's gone. But behind that is still this. Ephesians 2, you were dead. God made you alive so that you would walk in good works. Galatians chapter 3, 4, and 5. You were dead by faith. God saved you by faith. God gave you his spirit so that you would Galatians chapter 5, keep in step with the Spirit. Move with the Spirit of God. And all throughout the book of Titus, chapter 1, verse 16, chapter 2, verse 7, chapter 2, verse 12, chapter 2, verse 14, chapter 3, verse 1, and chapter 3, verse 8, Paul says, help these Christians move toward real, tangible words and actions that bear the fruit of obedience to God out of thankfulness for what God has done. Here, Paul's saying, learn to be devoted to these things, these things which are rooted in God's love, which display love for God, which display love for others. Be committed to them. And you know what? They don't come naturally. They just don't. 
So, Titus, help your people learn to serve the needs of others. Help your people learn to serve the needs of God's mission. Help your people learn to help others in cases of urgent need. And help your people not to be unfruitful. I know this is a little humorous, but Paul has sent Zenos and Apollos to Crete with absolutely nothing. Or just enough to get them to Crete. And then could you imagine getting this letter? Hey, friend, by the way, I've sent these people to you with nothing. But you should meet their needs and you should see it as an opportunity from God to learn how to meet the needs of others. I mean, how many of you are going to get that letter this afternoon and respond favorably to that? You're going to be like, you've manipulated me. Except that's the way all this work carried out back in the day. It was the people of God meeting the needs of the servants of God that kept the mission going forward. And it seems that verse 14 would say, Christians on the island of Crete, when you see a case of urgent need, meet it in Jesus' name. Be fruitful. Devote yourself to serving others in the name of Jesus. Devote yourself to things which honor God. Let your life be a ringing testimony of the power of God's gospel to change people and make them lovers of God and lovers of others. Learn to serve. Um, Okay, so how are we going to apply this? Very simply. I think this verse, verse 14, would say to us, look around. Our relationship to God is not about navel-gazing and just looking up, but, but look out, look around, find those, particularly in this case, those who are doing the work of the Lord, who have needs, and ask this question, would God want me to meet that need? Find those who are hurting, who are broken, who don't know where to turn and ask this question. Would God want me to display his love and grace and compassion by serving someone who is hurting? Inside the church, outside the church, if we're doing it to testify to God's goodness and to display God's love, and not to pat ourselves on the back, then God's going to be honored by that. Ask yourself, what is the next right thing that God has put right in front of me? And what does it look like to do that in the name of Jesus? And then take verse 14 seriously enough that you want to learn to be devoted to this type of good in the world for the glory of Jesus. I want to tell two stories that I hope help us apply this. 
about 12 years ago, I was sitting in my office down in Brentwood, and I got a call from this um, young lady who was a freshman at Belmont, and um, just a little firecracker who loved the Lord and wanted to change the world. And she was like, I need your help. We are going to eradicate the world of poverty, and we are going to end the AIDS crisis. Like, really? Five freshmen at Belmont? Well, yes, with the help of the church. Okay. I was nicer than I'm being right now. Like, I'm letting the sarcasm flow out. Like, it just seems that the church gets moved by these grand sweeping visions. But what if we were more committed to, hey, I'm going to go home. And if there's an immediate need right in front of me, I'm going to go and in the name of Jesus say, how can I help you and serve you and love you today? And I'm going to go out here in the hallway, and if you're standing in the corner um, trying to dry your tears, I'm just going to walk up and say, hey, is there anything I can do for you? Can I pray for you? Can I help you? I just, I just want to love you and serve you in the name of Jesus. Oh, there's a family that's house burned down and they lost everything. Like, what if we just show up and say, hey, in the name of Jesus, like, have what you need. Well, we need to preach the gospel. Yes, we do, and we should, and we will, but often the steps toward the gospel, the steps toward being heard by others is just doing the next right thing that's right in front of us. So, one of, again, I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to pat Redeemer on the back and lift us up, but I, I hope that I'm helping you understand some of the things that, that drive and motivate us. I reached out again to to L.J. James, who is on a mission trip right now with some of our teenagers, um, who, who has led a lot of our local outreach efforts that, that are just this kind of like, what's the next right thing? God's clearly put it in front of us. How can we go do that in Jesus' name? And we'll let God figure out what kind of fruit he's going to bear from that, right? We'll let God decide if we're going to end world pandemics or not, but we're just going to do the next right thing that's right out there. So I just um, called LJ last night about 10.30, and I said, hey, could you just text me a list of some of these next right things that we've done in the last 18 months? I use 18 months because that's how long he's been on staff here. And I expected to get, I, I was blown away by this list, so I'm just going to read it. And again, this isn't about patting us on the back. Please don't hear it this way, but here it is. Oh, a need, we stepped toward it, in the name of Jesus, and we'll see how God uses that going forward. We want to be known as the people that love God so much, have been filled with his love so much, that we love others freely. That's what we want to be known as. So LJ texted me back. Um, we took lunch to all the nurses at Sumner Regional Hospital at the height of the COVID pandemic. We took lunches to a team of nurses in the COVID wing at Vanderbilt Hospital. During last year's terrible year for educators, we took gift boxes and meals to teachers and educators at Nanny Berry Elementary School, which is the school here in our neighborhood. When Knox Doss Elementary School had a student killed, we joined with the meat sweats in taking lunch to all the teachers and just saying, you're loved, and if we can do anything for you, we're here for you. And we stood in a parking lot and talked and prayed and encouraged. 
We sent financial support to workers in North Africa who were cut off during an attempted coup in their nations. We sent backpacks of meeting needs to women at Morningstar Shelter. We adopted children in need at George Witten Elementary School here in Hendersonville. Why are we doing these things? Because God's loved us much, and we want to learn to be devoted to good works, to help in cases of urgent need and not be unfaithful. Where's the gospel in that? Well, the gospel is here. God has served us much. Let's serve others. The gospel's here. Hey, Redeemer Church, we love Jesus, and we would love to help you love Jesus. How the Lord pieces all that together, that's for him to do. But this passage, Paul says to Titus, teach these Christians to be devoted, to learn to be devoted to good works. So I would just invite you, let's learn to be devoted to the good works, the meeting of urgent needs, and being fruitful to love and serve others that the Lord puts right in front of us. Because to conclude this list, we didn't really go seeking any of these things. Not a single one of them was strategic. Meaning, we sat down in front of a whiteboard and said, in the next five years, let's put dots on a map of all the places we want to serve. The needs rose up. God had given us people and means, and we responded. Let's be those kind of Christians. Third, lean into grace. Lean into grace. Verse 15 says, All those, all who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. I don't think this is just a standard ending. You know, we end letters with sincerely or in Christ. But do we often slow down and think about like what we mean when we say like, in Christ, in the name of Christ. Paul's ending by saying, grace be with you all. I don't think that's a throwaway, like I put grace be with you all at the end of all my letters. I think it's there because it, God's grace is the fountain. We depend upon it. Grace be with you means remember God's grace in Jesus Christ. We deserve nothing but God's anger and wrath and hatred, but in Christ, because Jesus lived and died and took away the sting and the wrath of our sin, he has graciously poured Christ's holy and righteous life out such that we could be loved as Christ deserved to be Loved such that we could be forgiven and accepted in Christ. Now, if you're here today, like this is the gospel message. We all need grace. We all need grace. No amount of good works will take away sin and death. Only God's grace can do that. We need grace. But the grace that saves us isn't a one-time 
inoculation that then moves on, but rather it is the grace of God that carries the people of God forward in the faith. So Paul says, grace be with you all, meaning depend upon the Lord. Lean into his grace. Everything that I attempt, every biblical action, every act of love, every act of ministry, every act of obedience, I do so knowing that if God's grace isn't moving me, I'm not moving. Grace is the fountain. If there's no water in the riverbed, you're just sitting on rocks. Lean into grace. Lord, I need your help. Lord, I need your strength. Lord, I need your wisdom. Lord, I need your direction. Lord, I need you to help me figure out how to take a step forward. We are the people of God's grace, which means we depend upon him. There is nothing glorifying and honoring to God individually or corporately that we can do apart from the help of God. But God is free and eager to pour his grace out upon his people. Lean into it. Lean into it. And third, pray for God's grace. Pray for God's grace. One of the ways that we lean into grace is by speaking, God, I need your grace. I need your help. The grace of God is a gift of God that brings salvation. And the grace of God is a gift of God that propels God's people forward until the very end. Let's be the people who are so captivated by grace that we want to love and serve and walk with the Lord and we ask for his help to do those very things which he has commanded us to do. Friend, for you and your life, I commend you to lean into God's grace. Church, for us and our corporate life, I commend to us to lean into God's grace. That can be a, a throwaway, like, oh, yeah, yeah, grace, grace, grace. We need God's grace. Or it can be an act of humility and faith. I need God's power, his strength, his wisdom, his conviction, his guidance. I need him. So I'm going to remember what he's done in the past. I'm going to lean into his grace today. And I'm going to pray for more. Let's be the people who lean into God's grace. So our Father and our God. We pray now that you would take these words that you have spoken. And as much as they are true, as much as they are right, and as much as they are good for your people, I pray you would cause us to hear them, to believe them, to be shaped by them.
Father, would you please speak to your people now? Our Lord and our God, we are thankful that in Christ we've been called children of God. And we want to walk in your ways. We want to walk trusting your word. And we want to be fruitful. So would you help us do this, we pray. We pray this because of Jesus. Jesus.